Greetings, adventures, and welcome to GNGG Cast. Welcome, everyone, to Good Night and Good Game, your geek news roundup for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me this week is our producer, Tony. Hi. And our co-host, Hector. Hello. This week on the show, we're going to be talking about video game length and what that means to some indie game developers that are out there. But before we start, don't forget that you can head over to goodnight.gg, where as a patron of our show, you can suggest topics for us to talk about. Uh, my PT script got a little bit delayed this week because on Sunday, I will be hosting a pre-game show for the Houston Outlaws on their Discord, but that gives me a little more time to finish the PT Kindle book. So with all that out of the way, it is time for the prelude. Prelude. All right, this is the prelude. This is what we've been doing with ourselves this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time. Hector, take us Well, on. I got some good ones this week. What do you got? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, I finally watched a Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf. Yes. Um, fucking phenomenal. If you like The Witcher, it's more Witcher. It's animated. It's very, very well animated. Think like Castlevania mm -hmm. with the really smooth, really fluid action scenes. Do you have to have a deep knowledge of The Witcher as a series to enjoy this? I would say no, because it's a pretty great story, and the storytelling lends itself to being understood. Okay. That said, if you do have a really deep understanding of Witcher lore, you will get a lot out of okay. this. Yeah. It is very, very cool and very political in that, like, Sapkowski way that he writes his books. Mm -hmm. Um, with all of the undertones and like everything that people are saying, having things left unsaid that you're just picking up right. as it's going on. It's subtext, lots of subtext. Lots and lots of subtext. Okay. Um, in a very violent, um, uh, it, it, you know, animated show with, uh, you know, there's some titties, there's plenty of blood, there's all kinds of crazy monsters. So it's and The Witcher. Neat stuff. <laughs> yes, it's absolutely The Witcher. And there's more of it. And yeah. you should watch it because we don't get a second season of The Witcher till December. Yeah. Um, I, and you guys will both be very proud of me, I finished The Good Place. Oh, yay! Yeah. Welcome to it. I finally did it. Did you cry? Oh, God. Like, nonstop. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> Through the last probably four episodes. Mm -hmm. And I could have sworn that show was going to end like three episodes before it did. Yeah. And it just, like, kept going in the most wonderful way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah I don't yeah it was great. Welcome if, to the club. Yeah, for everyone who knows what I'm talking about, it is one um, of the most wholesome shows on television. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. For anyone who hasn't seen it, I highly suggest you watch the entire show front to back, then do it again. It's all <laughs> on Netflix. Um, go for it. And Good place goes down in as one of my just perfect shows it does. from start to end. It was just perfectly executed yeah. and. It ended on such a wonderful ending. I don't ever want anybody it's, it's, to fuck with it. It's so hard to stick mm -hmm. the landing sometimes. Oh, it's know? incredibly hard yeah. to stick the landing, especially when you're talking about things like death. That is basically the entire show. Yeah. It's talking about coping with death. And mm -hmm. when you do things this unfunny and this sad and you make them hilarious... For four solid seasons, you, you, you did something really I think special. especially right now with the world being in the state that it's in and it being kind of rough, a show like The Good Place is kind of what everybody needs right now. Yes, yeah, so we're very much seeing that right now with Ted Lasso and yeah. people like glomming onto it with like the... That, that that good place energy or that Shit's Creek energy where yeah. people are like, no, you don't understand what you're missing. You need to it's, go and watch this. very uplifting, Rather than, uh, this is a good show. It's like, yeah. no, this show will improve your life in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The last thing I did, we both did, um, I played 12 minutes. I played 12 minutes. Yeah, it took me four hours. Yeah, it took me about... <laughs> to play 12 minutes. I would say maybe five. Yeah. Um, so 12 minutes is a game that we've been looking forward to for a long time. We're not going to be spoiling anything, but it is a, uh, time loop game. Mm -hmm. It takes place in a single apartment. There are three characters within the game. That is Willem Dafoe, 
uh, Daisy Ridley and James McAvoy. Mm-hmm. Um, the two main characters are James McAvoy and Daisy Ridley. Um, a gentleman comes home from work. His wife has made dessert, is saying, hey, let's sit down. and I have a surprise for you. Surprise is baby. Mm-hmm. She a, is pregnant. A cop bursts in and basically takes them both out. Yep. And you have 12 minutes to figure out what happened. Correct. It keeps happening in a loop. So you get to keep talking to both of these people, having full experiential knowledge of your loop. Yep. Um, very, very cool. It's a very small environment that you play in. It's an apartment, single studio down. apartment, and it is top down. It's top down, and it feels like almost like you're watching The Sims. Yes. Um, yeah, that, that's actually a really good way to put it. It, yeah. it does feel like you're watching The Sims. The way that you interact with the environment is by clicking on things, not controlling a character. And that yeah. is a really interesting way to get your perspective into not the mind of your character, but the mind of the story. Yeah. One of the more unhealthy habits I have is I am a smoker. Mm-hmm. And I found myself playing for like an hour or so. And then I would get to a point of kind of frustration. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to go out and smoke. And like I went out and would have a cigarette. And while I'm sitting out there having a cigarette and kind of like trying to clear my mind of mm-hmm you know, the frustration of getting stuck on a puzzle or something like that. Mm-hmm. My mind would go like, Hey, did you remember to check out that light switch? And I went, fuck. Yeah. Like that's, I mm-hmm. need that. That's the key. That's the thing that I'm, yep. that I'm and I'm, again, we will not spoil anything for anybody, but for those of you who have played it, the first quote ending I got was what was called the perfect day where you have a perfect day with your wife start to finish. Yeah. And I told Hector about it and he went, Oh, that's going to, that's going to get dark because you got that as your first ending. And then I, and then I got the real ending and I went, what, what the fuck, what the actual fuck? Yeah. 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 It was, it was a fun discussion afterwards when he, he told me that. And then I was like, Oh, lol here. Like, you're not done yet. Keep going. A few hours later, he's like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, lol, we're sharing memes. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're just celebrating the darkness that is the ending of this story. Yeah, I tweeted it out. I was like, the game left me speechless. And yeah. like, yeah, it, it absolutely did leave me speechless. It is worth your time. Uh, by the way, don't feel bad if you get stuck in a place and need to look something up or, yes. a, or ask a friend. Um, Mechanics are convoluted there, There's a, a lot of it's very self-explanatory, but every once in a while, like the thing that triggered the actual ending, mm-hmm. it never clicked to me until like, I, I just looked it up. I was like, what's the thing that I'm missing? And mm-hmm. it's like, show this thing to the thing. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Like I can get, you can infer that from the dialogue, but man, that is like yeah, difficult. It's, it's difficult to connect the action you needed to perform with the dialogue you were getting. Right. Because every ounce of dialogue in this game is important. Right. Everything that is said between the characters has some value to it. Right. Because the game also kind of functions like a point and click adventure game. Yeah. And sometimes the puzzles can be really convoluted with the, you know, you have rope in a bottle and somehow that gets you into this building. But mm-hmm. like, like, how are you supposed to figure that out? Yeah. And there's even some vague stuff in there. Like um, one of the th- one of the key items is in an area that you literally go have to go like into the medicine cabinet and like move your mouse around until something else comes up at the mm-hmm. very bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh shit, I've been missing this the yeah, whole time. Yes, so you were, so that, that was designed for you to not notice until you knew it was there. I thought right. that was very well designed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, 12 minutes. It is on Game Pass. It is worth your time. Holy fucking shit, this game. Yeah. And we will be talking, we will be bringing it back around to that when we go into the boss room a little bit. So mm-hmm. we will also be talking about game length. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely something to keep on the, in the back of your head. Uh, Tony, what have you been doing this week? Um... Nothing really. Okay. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. If, if, you, if you don't have a whole lot. 
Um, so I did play 12 minutes. We already covered that. Yep. Uh, one of the things that we all did as a group, uh, Hector, you and I were a fan of it, mm-hmm. was uh, Chapel Weight. Chapel Weight. Yeah. Yeah. That was very intriguing. Very slow burn horror in that very Stephen King way. Yeah. So Chapel Weight, we've talked about on the show before. Um, basically, there is a one of my favorite Stephen King short stories is a short story in... Uh, uh, Oh God, Night Shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, how do I not know this? It's, I own like five copies of this book. Uh, Night Shift. It's called Jerusalem's Lot. There it is. Yeah. And it is about the original short story is just about a person who met, moves into his family manor, and the entire town hates his family because they're all supposedly dark and evil. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but I'm not. I'm a good person. And yeah. it's a Lovecraft story. It is a straight up H.P. Lovecraft. I live in a house and I go mad while I'm in the, in the mm-hmm. house kind of situation. Um, they turned it into a series. We've got Adrian Brody in it. Um, concessions have been made because it's a 15 page book and it was turned into a TV series. Right. Um, so, you know, he's got a family and, you know, there's more time exploring the town. Yes. We're talking um, long form series too. The first episode yeah. was a solid 60 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, even as somebody who that is one of my favorite Stephen King stories of all time. Um, mm-hmm. I found this story when I was a child. Um, I went to the local library, found an audio book that had two stories from Night Shift on it. And every summer at that library, I would rent out that particular audio book because it was just so well acted. Mm-hmm. And I would listen to it on cassette. Uh, not to date myself, but that's what I did. Yeah. And yeah, I was just obsessed with Jerusalem's lot glowing up. And I knew that I was going to be maybe one of the harder critics from terms of um, the story being changed. Mm-hmm. But I found that after the first like 20 minutes, I didn't care because I get yeah. to, I, I got to, vi- I got to see what has been in my mind mm-hmm. since I was a child. I get almost to see like, this. Yeah. Time. Like it's almost like getting to uh, like, if you, how do I put this? Like if somehow you were able to walk around on the set of your favorite TV show, yeah. like you've been there so many times, but only through a single lens. And now you get to like look around and explore. Yeah. And, and there's definitely things that, that played out differently in my mind, like mm. where the house sat. Cause in my mind, the house sat on a giant hill that overlooked the two towns. Mm. And, and you know, it was definitely like, okay, this is definitely, it's different than I pictured it, but I'm not mad at the artist vision for it. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Tony, you just said it was a little bit too slow burn for you. I mean, um, I had no interest in watching that. It was my birthday. It was boring as shit. It would be cool if I had watched it like more episodes and maybe been in the mood for it, but uh, no. Sure. I Even thinking about trying to watch any more of it now at this point is meh. Eh, understandable. Yeah. Not for everybody. Uh, the one other thing that I did this week, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it, is uh, I watched a Netflix series called Clickbait. Oh, um yeah. It's a very fascinating series. My mom's watching um, that. Yeah, so it's a limited release series, which means this mm-hmm. is probably all we're going to get is the eight episodes that came out of this. Um, the in- initial story starts off, and I, and I can't say too much about it because it, I, uh, everything's a spoiler, basically. But the initial story is a guy gets kidnapped. Um, he gets put on essentially YouTube with a sign that says, like, I killed a woman, I abused women. Um, if this video gets 5,000 hits, I will die. Right. And let me tell you, that story is only, that story doesn't drag on very, very long. Okay. Um, these in the more fascinating part of this, and this is what's I think really cool about short form series like this. Mm-hmm. Every episode of clickbait takes place from a different character's perspective and not in, in the, Oh, we show the same day and mm-hmm. it's from a different character's perspective. No, every single character, every episode moves the plot forward by several days and it's done through a different character's perspective. Mm-hmm. And each one of these episodes reveals something new about the plot and what happened. And we don't hang on that guy being strapped to a chair. That's like the hook, but like we, that we deviate from that, like out of nowhere. Okay. And it's a mur- I don't, I hesitate to call it a murder mystery because you won't know the person that did it mm-hmm. until the very end, because that's the way the story is constructed. 
Right. They don't give hints as to who the person is. You can guess while you oh, go. Okay. So, and, so they're, they're not giving you clues. No, they're not giving okay. you clues. You will not get to it. Because I got to the last episode. I'm like, wait, that's who the fuck the killer is? I'm like, but why? But when you get to the point where you ask, but why? Mm-hmm. That's where the killer gets their episode and you get the but why. Okay. So it's a very fascinating eight episodes. I was hooked to it. Like literally last night I finished episode seven at like 1230. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I should be in, I should go to bed right now. But there's only one episode left. Yep. Like, yep. do there. I, do I just, I just power through it at this point. So yeah, if you're into just kind of a dark mystery show, clickbait, it's, it's very fascinating, very well acted. Uh, yeah, it was a good time. Okay, that's everything that we have for the prelude this week. We're going to take a small break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be going into our main news segment in the Weekly Raid. Weekly Raid. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is the Weekly Radar News Roundup for the week. Uh, To start this week, I want to talk about one of my favorite game reveals of last week, the tactical Marvel game from Firaxis, uh, of course, who made the newest XCOM, the one called Marvel Midnight Suns. Uh, It was revealed this week that um, the part part of the tactics game is actually going to revolve around cards that players have for each of the Marvel supernatural heroes. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the bigger reveal was that Midnight Suns will only have cosmetic microtransactions in the game. Now, this is something that a lot of people, myself included, were worried about. Um, I even kind of told Hector outside of the show, I don't care if they charge for costumes, but I want nothing purchasable in-game that alters how the game is played unless it is entirely new characters. Right, yeah, yeah, for sure. And and we were we watched the trailer for this the the premiere of the gameplay trailer mm-hmm. and the entire time I'm like quick texting I'm like this could be a microtransaction putting these cards in could be a microtransaction like mm-hmm. them doing this could be a microtransaction like this game could be gross yeah. it was a game that I was so hyped for and when they came out and they're like yeah no that's not how any of this is gonna work it's you're gonna get the base game start to finish if you want to get a fun skin for your character you pay a couple bucks for it but it doesn't alter gameplay yeah. whatsoever. And that's bold because I do play a lot of Marvel games mm-hmm. and a lot of them are monetized know, to shit. They're monetized to shit. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, just using basically a combined card back card system to purchase abilities for your characters to use. That is, just reeks of microtransactions. Yeah. Whenever you look at that, you're like, Oh, that just sounds like you're selling kids card packs so right. they can actually play the game. Yep. But that's not what they're doing. But that's not what they're doing. Which is good. This they're, the purely cosmetic. I really do hope they stick with that. It's mm-hmm. the game looks very promising, mm-hmm. and if we can have a Marvel game that's not a giant pile of shit, would be yeah. so nice. Full of microtransactions. Yeah. I mean, that being be said, like I have been playing, and, and I hate to admit this, as I just said like three weeks ago, I don't play MMOs anymore. I have been <laughs> playing the Marvel MMO that just released for mobile, uh-huh. and like I'm surprised they could fucking make that shit really microtransact. And there are microtransactions in it, obviously, mm-hmm. but like. I never once does the game ever prompt me for any of that shit. Okay. It just sits in a shop where if I go to the shop to do something, it's like, Hey, if you want to buy this for a couple bucks, you can. Okay. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And I have spent a lot of stupid time on this game. Mm-hmm. And mostly because I only have to actively play the hard parts. Okay. Like the, the grind, I can like have it auto play the grind. Oh, like cookie clicker style. Like it just said it's auto and it just mm-hmm. fucking does the thing. But when it comes to a boss fight, if you don't know the mechanics of the game, you will get wrecked. Gotcha. So like it does encourage you to learn the game, but it also says there's a lot of boring parts of MMOs. You can just fucking auto that. Mm-hmm. But that being said, like, yeah, there's a lot of gross monetizations when it comes to Marvel games for access, making this decision. Um, is makes me really happy, especially because they did go into the developer commentary for how the combat system works and was like, look, here's the deal. These cards that you get for a character, they're upgraded through the social system in the game. 
So the more you spend time with a character, the more their stuff will upgrade. And so there's no room to microtransact what this is. Okay. It, I mean, it, you, because you have to have an interaction with the RPG side of it. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. Well, they, yeah, they put the game before the monetization. They Go did. fucking figure. And, yeah. and you said it's Wait a, a good second. game. This is a video game coming out and it put the game first. Yeah. And not... How can we? And screw you know, our and you know what the really over? fucked up part of that is? Is that when game, when companies do shit like that, it makes me want to buy their fucking microtransactions more. Yep, they'll be like, "Hey, up. here's a cool costume from Magic from like her original release," and I'm like, "It's like a dollar. I will fucking buy that." Yeah, like, per- perfect example for me is um, uh, grinding gears. The people who make Path of Exile, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like I, I realized that they, you know, that the game does cost money and they do have cosmetic microtransactions. But when I found out, it's a studio of like eight people and that's how they pay their mortgages i was like i would like razor colored footsteps yeah, yeah that sounds cool yeah yeah and oh, so the rbg with my keyboard neat and when it comes into my mobile games because i do play a ton of marvel mobile games mm-hmm. um, and i've quit a lot of them too because some of them have been gross whether or not i support a company and dive into microtransactions is directly related to the length of time that i've been playing the game mm-hmm. and how gross the microtransactions are yeah most of the Marvel games that I play are purely cosmetic, and it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that they're going that route. Um, all right, so let's move on from Marvel. It is September now, and we all know what that means. It is spooky season. Yeah, we, we made it. The pumpkin spice lattes are out, y'all. It's time for pumpkins <laughs> and some horror. Yep. And a while back, we mentioned that James Wan of a bazillion horror credits will be producing a new version of Stephen King's vampire story, Salem's Lot, directly tied to Jerusalem's Lot. All right. Um, There's too many fucking lots. No, they're the same place. Lots. but There's lots lot. Just at a different time frame. Uh, but now we know a bit more about who's attached. So Gary Doberman, uh, who worked on It, The Nun, Annabelle Comes Home, is writing and directing the the script uh lewis pullman who is in the strangers pray at night has signed on to star alongside oscar nominee uh alfred uh woodard okay everything about this is starting to shape up nicely Mm -hmm. i'm excited i love salem's lot as a story it's a vampire story and it's like nasty nosferatu like i'm waiting to see like how like gross vampires not like sexy they're they're gross vampires they're not great um so yeah i'm super excited about this i don't know how you guys are feeling about stephen king adaptations right now but well, it's uh, they're James, all so different. It doesn't matter. I'll try any of yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> it really depends on what the story is, who's directing it. I mean, James Wan producing it, but pr- James Wan's produced a lot of stuff, including yeah. The Conjuring Three, and that was a giant piece of shit. Yeah. So, it, I mean, if we if we learned anything at all from like you know all of the movies that have been made mm-hmm. and all the movies that have been made from the same Stephen King story, mm-hmm. is that Stephen King doesn't really have much to do with how that thing's going to turn out. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Uh, If you're into foreign films and zombies, might we recommend the South Korean flick Train to Busan? Yes, we might. That being said, if you're not into subtitles, you're in luck because New Line Cinema is going to create a U.S. remake of Train to to Busan. Um, Now, right now, they are looking to tap an Indonesian filmmaker who worked on The Night Comes for Us and The Devil May Take You. Uh, that James, comes for us was incredible. Uh, James, and that's that's the that's the director they're looking to tap for mm-hmm. this. Uh, James Wan is going to be producing it, and Gary Doberman is going to be writing the screenplay. So okay, so so they're making the U.S. version, but they're not like whitewashing the entire thing. Maybe doesn't sound like it. I mean, if they just wanted a version in English, I mean, whatever. Yeah, no, if they just if it's still the train to Busan. And not like the train to Miami. <laughs> well, then... you know what? Even if they made the train to Miami, if they still made it like 
culturally relevant to the area. Not that we have trains in the United States. Well, they're so trying to build. There's reference trains they're work. building down there right now. Yeah, yeah, infrastructure. They're, act, they're actively there are tra- it's one of the things I follow is the train system within Florida because of how it affects the Disney World system uh, and yeah. how that is being branched out by different companies mm-hmm. and there actually is a good train system that is possibly train to Disney yeah well yeah, no, it's yeah, yeah, actually going to be going uh, up, it's the train most Disney of Florida I want to see, I want to yeah. see this actually get picked up instead um, of New Line there's actually a big argument between Disney and uh, uh, Universal Studios and where they proposed routes for the train systems will go, mm-hmm. depending on things. And that's I'm not. This is these are legit things. I understand. But no, no you can't one do you're train to, it up. Yeah, no, you yeah. can't do train to Miami because everybody has. Tony's fucking... making this up as like the most boring thing to make up in the world. <laughs> uh, there's too many guns here. That just wouldn't work with a zombie movie set on a train. Well, that's in the, the thing United about States. train to like, Busan is we don't have a right. lot of big public transportation and we do have guns everywhere. Right. Yeah. Which was the opposite of the movie Train to Busan. Yeah. That's, right. Yeah. Uh, train to Busan's like, we're going to fist fight some fucking zombies. Yeah, because none of us have guns and we're in a train. Yeah. Uh, America's like, here. we got trucks and guns. Keeping spooky season yeah. going, Guillermo del Toro is working on a Netflix anthology series called Cabinet of Curiosities. Del in. Toro has handpicked the talent and it's all insane. We have the writer-director of The Babadook, Jennifer Kent. Um, we have People who've worked on Man in the High Castle, people who worked on The Walking Dead, people who worked on Brand New Cherry Flavor. Um, we would basically be here all day if we were talking about the talent that's been brought on board. Production has already begun in Toronto, and the stories range from original Del Toro stories to ones based on H.P. Lovecraft's works. So, so, so half spooky horses and half everything else. <laughs> I Give love the Toro, Del, Del, Del Toro can... Um, relegate some of his storytelling into these smaller stories perhaps because yeah. he keeps attaching himself to fucking everything yeah. and we want all of the crazy shit that he, I didn't even he, want to mention wants. this until I saw the words in production yeah, I'm like right because yeah he, he wants to make a lot of awesome shit yeah. unfortunately it just doesn't always happen yeah. hey we, he got to make two Hellboys I mean come on how likely was true. that that was awesome they, they were so good. I still haven't watched the newest one, but I've heard Baby Don't. Uh, it's fun. It's, I like it's, it. It's okay. I mean, don't expect Del Toro. but yeah, the, right. the, David you know, Haber's really fun. But yeah, yeah, no. The, it, it, imagine if the original had been made without Del Toro, and that's pretty much what you're getting. Okay. Big budget. Someone probably really liked the comic character and, you know, went with it, but it's it, they don't have that vision. Right. I understand. And that creature creation, you know... There's no good way to put it. He just yeah. likes to put a bunch of creatures in his movies, but he hates horses. I don't know why that factor sticks in my head. Like, like who? Like, yeah, some people hate horses, but like he really fucking hates them. I my only thing that I really remember from Gil Toro is the fact he has like was a eight foot tall statue of H.P. Lovecraft looking down his hallway that's inside his library. So when you go up the stairs and you look down to his library, there's a giant fucking H.P. Lovecraft looking down back at you, and it's a huge life. Fucking full size statue. That's like eight feet fucking tall. I would love to. I would love. I would love to see this in real life. And like, when nobody is around, just hang a little sign on it that just says, "I'm a racist." I know, right? Like that's the best part. Like you go visit, and you're just like, (laughs) now the now the sculpture's complete. Yeah. Now we don't talk about other podcasts on the show much, uh, but it is spooky season, and there is an upcoming podcast that some people might be interested in. Uh, Kiernan uh, Shipka, or many of you know her as Netflix Sabrina, oh, yeah. is going to be starring in an upcoming what they call feature-length podcast, or also what they're calling an audio movie uh, called Treat. 
So here's okay. the here's the premise. You mean for you. a radio play? It's, it's it an is audio a, movie. It's, it's Tony. a radio play. Get with the time. Look, for those of us who, that have listened to radio plays, <laughs> I've uh, watched movies about radio is. plays. Right. So treat tells of a seemingly perfect American town whose residents make a deal with a mysterious outsider possessing supernatural powers to help it recover from social turmoil. Uh, when the town falls behind on its payments, a trio of teenagers uh, have to unlock the secrets of his power. Cool. So yeah. I like the social commentary of this, like this, the yeah. idea of like a town that's so down on its luck, like the town's willing to make a deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. There's some. Th- th- yeah. No, no, I dig it. This sounds like a very cool story. I, I, I would watch Kieran and Shipka do this in a live action thing as well so i mean maybe maybe if this is popular they'll do that so yeah yeah, i'll I'll listen to it (laughs) now we're all about jordan peele on this show and this week it was revealed that his studio uh, monkey paw productions has just signed a contract for a new multi-year television overall deal uh while we don't know what this is going to entail for the uh, production company it's going to see what jordan peele will do with his studio with universal's backing so it's a universal, like, is it... Like, like he went to... So you said, I thought you said it was a TV deal. They say it's a TV deal. Because I was just going to ask, what, what, what is, is it Netflix? Is it ABC? It's just whatever, it's just a deal between his studio and Universal. Okay, to produce some to kind produce, of TV content. To produce, episodic to produce, content. It could be episodic content. Okay. It could be, what, it could be movies. It could be direct to, oh, okay. you know. That's true. Because uh, Universal has a streaming platform, I think. I know Paramount does. I'm not sure about Universal. Is there a Universal Plus? I don't know if there is. Internet, look this up for us. <laughs> um, but yeah, so think about this. Though. We have Jordan Peele, who is one of the best. Universal Studios minds. would be part of the Warner Brothers uh, thing. That's, uh, oh, there you go. The, uh, Harry Potter, all that bullshit. That's mm-hmm, It would be right. part of that unit. Th- thing. But you just like yeah. you just turn Jordan Peele loose with Universal. Yeah, I mean, I if, mean if they're going to throw money at him. Yeah, I'm in. I still need to go see Candyman. Remember when yeah. they tried to make that Dark Universe series about like the Dracula <laughs> and the Wolfman and all that shit? Oh man, I re- I still thought the money had so- the Mummy had some promise. I didn't see it, but I heard it was a train. Wreck. It was awful. It was yeah. a train wreck, yeah, it but it had awful. promise. Yeah, but yeah, I think that I, that was the first thing that clicked in my head when I read this. I was like, oh man, people are just talking like, oh, it's a really good deal for him and his company. Like he's giving them all this financial backing. We'll get some great horror out of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but. What are the odds he looks at them and goes, all right, so about those original monsters, can I do something with that? I mean, that'd be nice. He's got the monsters. He's got all the monsters. <laughs> right. Like, can I, can I take, like, the Wolfman and make some social commentary out of the yeah, Wolfman? Yeah, yeah. It's possible. <sighs> okay, so sometime back we discussed that one of our favorite horror people out there, uh, Fede Alvarez, was working on a sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, It's been quite some time uh, before we heard any news about it, but finally this week it was reported that Netflix has acquired the global rights to the movie. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the film takes place years after the first movie. Um, Leatherface has basically not been seen or heard from since the original film um, and will feature the return of uh, Sally um, Hardstreet, who is the the final girl, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Not going to be played by the same actress, um, but will be that same character. So this was kind of a, this is an upsetting red flag for me, uh, just because I was super excited about this and yeah, I'm going to be, I'm super happy that like this film will be coming to Netflix. Obviously Fede is a, to, in my mind, a brilliant horror filmmaker who does not get nearly enough credit, especially for fucking evil dead. Yeah. Um, 
and so I was super hyped to be like, oh yeah, he's doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then they're like, ah, oh, but Netflix is getting it. I'm like, oh, but like it deserves distribution. He deserves to like. To be fair, um, I mean, I hear you. You want it to be a, a a in theater production, and that is what we want for all of our favorite things because we want to see it on a big screen. Yeah. But when you just said distribution, no one has wider distribution than Netflix. No one mm. on the planet. Mm, true. I don't know. Tony, thoughts about it? Uh, I'm a little I'm a little sad that the uh, 2000s Texas Chainsaw Massacres are going to be taken out then because those were fun. I like I, I like the, uh, the the new Texas Chainsaw the one with Jessica Biel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, that was, was well done. Because I mean, the first one is basically just looks like a snuff film the whole time. Mm. Uh, so so this one made it more cinematic. And but it still tried to keep with the like oh dear Jesus what are these hillbillies up to? It had some fucked up moments in it that were it just did. great. Yeah, and, yeah. Salting the living person's like leg stump is pretty fucked unfortunately, up. Unfortunately, it is the Hollywood trend right now. If if y'all haven't noticed it, the Hollywood trend is oh I'm gonna make a sequel to a movie, but it's gonna be the original film I'm doing a sequel to, even though mm-hmm. it's had twenty Very other true. sequels. Very like true. that's the trend right now. Is right yeah, now. it's because you can't you you either yeah, can't you, get your original idea made because no one wants to make original ideas or you don't have an original idea and you don't want to fuck with all the back lore that you have to uh, deal with bullshit. So you just work with what someone else's good idea was and then you try to do your shitty version of it yourself, which is what most continuation stories are. And there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. I thought that it was really bold of uh, Fede Alvarez to say like, I'm making a new evil dead and it's evil dead. It's not two or three. It doesn't fit in there. You know, like it's even said in the commentary, like we were kind of forced to put the Bruce Campbell cameo at the end credits. Because otherwise it's, I mean, is it Evil Dead? But it is. Yeah, it it was. Absolutely everything about that movie radiated Evil Dead. The one thing that in the Evil Dead movie that was in there that showed that it was in the same universe was the car. It was the, basically the cabin was nearly visually very identical from the outside and his car was there showing, hey, these events probably have taken place because... Weird shit happens in these woods with fucking monsters and, sh- yeah. and Necronomicons, yeah. but we don't need to keep fucking chainsaw arming it and go into fucking Zombieville. Right. It's fucking, yeah because at that I'm point the whole thing turns. Those stories are boring. As long you know, eventually it turns into a cartoon, mm-hmm. and some people really like cartoons, and I I, I do like Evil Dead two and three, mm-hmm. and I do sure. like Cabin in the Woods. There's a place for that, but. There's also most definitely a place for Evil Dead One and Freddy Alvar- Alvarez's uh, last name, yeah, uh, Evil Dead. Yes, yeah. where it's just like, hey, we're gonna do Evil Dead, but actual horror. Yes, like, exactly. There's definitely that, and I like that. All right, uh, so we're wrapping up the spooky news for the week. But as a quick mention, uh, Shutter has both announced and started their 61 Days of Halloween programming this oh, week. Oh shit! I need to go turn on. Um, Why didn't they do 69 days? Because it, they're not. Because very they started. Nice. They started in September. Um, aside from tons of Shutter original new films, like actually the newest VHS film dropping, which I do actually like the VHS films for as terms of like found footage, they work very very well. Is that the is that the American version of uh, REC the the zombie one? No, it's, it's, it's a different one. Um, I don't think I, I'm, I'm not familiar with the series. They're one of the better like higher rated uh, okay. found footage ones, and they they spend years between their their versions. Okay, it's not it, like Paranormal Activity no, 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 where no. they're like, it's like them out. It's like once every like five six years we put out a new vhs so yeah this is people have been waiting for this new one okay yeah um also on top of the new vhs film dropping they will have the return of what they call the gulag 
Um, it's like your Yule log programming. Oh, oh. Not not gulag. Ghoul <laughs> I was like, that's log. a bold thing to hilariously name the thing about ghouls. Jesus Christ. No. Oh, Yule. Be, okay. Yep, that's the. It's comparison. a Christmas thing. I was yep. thinking gulag. So got, the, you, yeah. Russian prison. Yeah. I was like, we're bringing back Russian prisons. I was re- actually all for that as well. So uh, they so need to make a good. Christmas ghoul story about gulags and just do the whole thing. Somebody needs to steal this right now because oh, it's a God. brilliant idea. Um, so on top of movie. on top of all of this, um, starting in October, they're going to have on Fridays a Halloween hotline where you can call in once a week to Shutter's head of programming, discuss horror films with him and he will recommend films that are on shutter to you like the head of the company you call this number he will have a discussion with you on air and be like all right so what do you like in horror why do you like this kind of horror all right let me recommend these five films to you we haven't seen something like this and like like this is it's like the, yeah this is like the i, I remember i don't remember because i wasn't born yet but i remember seeing footage of shit like this from the 60s where you and like there was there's an old snl sketch where these shows got so popular that one of them just had the president on it mm-hmm. and people would call in with ridiculous things like hey hey mr president yeah live call sorry um I just took way too many hits of acid, and he's like, uh, "Oh, what kind of acid? What are you looking at?" He's like, "What? Is the paper, the, the paper strips? Um, uh, what, what do they have on it? Is it a cartoon?" He's like, "Yeah, it's like an orange dot with a smiley face on it." All right, so you just took some yellow sunshine, so you're gonna need to find some orange juice and a cold bath real quick. <laughs> great, great sketch. But anyway, yeah, that's how far back this shit goes. That was Dan Aykroyd in that fucking sketch. Yeah. Call-in shows used to be a thing. Even uh, one of our favorite shows, Letterkenny, has an entire season of call-in oh, show. Oh, God, yes. Crack an egg. I need a t-shirt that just says And I know the chat's egg. saying this is going to go bad quick, and it probably will, uh, but I assume that um, they're going to vet a lot of this stuff, and yeah. it still can go bad, even yeah. when you vet. It absolutely obviously. can. Yeah. I mean, radio call-in is still a thing, unfortunately. Uh, because yeah, there's that, that that bit on uh, last week tonight where like one of the C-SPAN shows has yeah. still has callers calling in saying the dumbest shit you've yeah. ever heard. It looks like a school board meeting on that show, mm. but but it's still kind of Lightest fun man and like I'm still kind of hopeful for it because I'm like you know it's just an hour or two of programming where people who genuinely love horror just get to call in and just talk about it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. But yeah, I absolutely need to go home and turn on Shudder. <laughs> yeah, it's completely ready for it. Now, October's when the heavier stuff starts to drop. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of spooky season right now, obviously, because it's September. But a lot of the big releases like uh, VHS, The Hotline, all that, uh, will be dropping in October. Ooh, yeah, into it. Sadly, we have to move away from spooky news. Uh, but in non-spooky news, Disney is working on a new film for The Rocketeer. Um, the premise is it's going to be focused on a retired Tuskegee Airman okay. uh, who will be taking up the mantle of The Rocketeer this time. Interesting. I'm trying to remember the plot of the original Rocketeer. Right. It's been a long time since I've seen it. All I know is that it had... Um, so it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm it's on Disney. Pretty Plus. sure Tony loves it's it. It's definitely too. on Disney Plus. It's a wonderful movie. I've if I remember it, couple, it. I've watched it recently yeah. again. I, yeah. It's I, it's a movie that I really do enjoy. I've yeah. loved it since I was a little kid. Doesn't it have um uh, God? I, I it's bad that the only movie I remember her in is um. Oh, now I'm just losing that too. Wait, what, Jennifer uh, Connelly. Yes, Jennifer Connelly. Thank yes. you very much. Yes. So, yeah, that's the one with Jennifer Connelly, and she absolutely looks like a period bombshell. Mm-hmm. Like, like in, in the in the movie, it, it's incredible. The yeah. makeup was so for those ridiculous. you out there who are not familiar with the Rocketeer. Tony, can you give us a quick synopsis? 
Um, every day Joe gets magic special power and rocket pack goes to fight Nazis. Right. It gets a, he gets a rocket pack that, I mean, it, they don't work that way, but that's the point it's of fifties stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah, he can fly all of a sudden and now he can do he cool was, things. He was a pilot and he found an experimental prototype rocket pack. He made it work and then... There's Nazis in Hollywood, so he had to go fight them because they wanted to make Nazis fly, right. yeah. so he's going to go stop the Nazis using the pre-Nazi tech stuff. Right. He, yep. He's Captain it's, Falcon if Captain Falcon wasn't, a, like, the, got his wings from a this is weird the same scientist. director of Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah. So... Nice. If you've watched that movie, and most of us have, mm -hmm. just imagine this with rocket packs and not as many people watched it. Yeah. It, it's basically the same thing. It's a period piece where you go fight Nazis. Yeah. It's it's a Disney period piece about the 50s, which is saying something. There's so much great production quality in there. Mm -hmm. I believe this... Walt Disney was still alive when this came out, so there, it's just, like the accuracy is fantastic. There was a lot of nostalgia thrown in this movie before nostalgia was... May, maybe it still was as heavy then, but we didn't know about it. The... Changing the story over to a uh, member of the Tuskegee Airmen, which were from World War One, if mm -hmm. I remember correctly, because I'm trying to figure out where the time frame they're going to put this in, uh -oh, because yeah. if so, we're saying this is after the World War Two one, like, very quickly we start getting into, like, Vietnam and shit. Like, what the fuck are we going to do with the Rocketeer and that? It's going to be weird. I don't want that. This sounds but, like it's just not a remake, but a reimagining of it. Right. I, I'm interested in where they can take this. I'm happy the Rocketeer is getting some love. I'm all interested in where we're going to do the Tuskegee Airmen plotline for it. Mm. I'm a little bit confused on why they didn't make this a co-set into the Disney uh, Sea thing with the Secret Adventures uh, mm. Society. If you watch Jungle Cruise or any, any of the other Disney stuff or even uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, it's all part of it. Why they're not integrating it into that level of Disney mythology mm. um, because it's part of their... They're just losing out if they aren't. Um there, it's it's good. The Rocketeer is getting traction. Mm -hmm. I'm worried that it's not going to be shown the love and care that it needs to be because it's such a weird niche period story mm -hmm. that if you just make another one, you're remaking the thing. Right. I don't want that. I already have that. Yeah. So what are you going to tell with this, especially as a series, something mm -hmm. that is Disney Plus? Yeah. And I get that. We've liked what they've been doing with the Marvel stuff so far, yeah. but this and is... And the Star Wars stuff. I mean, as far yeah. as we know, this is just a new film for the Rocketeer, so it could be okay. theater release. We're not saying that it's a Disney Plus show. Okay. I, I was... All of the information pointed to this is a new Rocketeer film. Okay. Whether or not this is a remake or um, a reimagining or whatever. That was my it. question. Is this a remake mm. or a sequel, right? We, they and have not given us enough information okay. yet. They're yeah, just saying I don't, more Rocketeers yeah. on the way. I mean, yeah, the Rocketeer, that sounds fine. I mean, it, the, unfortunately, we live in a time where a lot more people will go like that. That's not well, how, the, the he, really he would not have legs. The really unfortunate <laughs> part of it is that people read, you know, hey, it was a member of the Tuskegee Airmen, uh -huh. and then bad internet came out and said things. Oh, yeah, because yeah, bad man. internet is bad. But you know what? Right. He has we, a fucking helmet on. Who cares what his skin color is? We, like, all, fucking... <laughs> we all learn to ignore these people on the internet. That, that's mm. how that, that we just... I know. It's Let just, them go it's just over gross. there and eat their horse paste. And I just, it's, it's gross to me because, to me, The Rocketeer is such a pure movie. Like, mm -hmm. like it's one of those movies right. from my childhood that right. it's just like, you know, sure, make it. If you want to remake it with a person with a different skin tone, great. Because somewhere, that, that's, that's going to inspire cast, so. more people. 
Like, yeah. like it's please bring more diversity to yeah. Disney. Like, I'm please. Absolutely. Why not? And yeah, I mean, and, you know, getting mad that, you know, somebody's going to punch Nazis. Like, now it's political all of a sudden. Did <laughs> right. you see any Indiana Jones movies? Like, <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Shit is always political. Uh, all right, let's talk about some game stuff. Uh, game developer CD Projekt Red has reached out to a team uh, that was working on mods for their essentially mess of a game, Cyberpunk 2077, mm-hmm. and has officially hired the entire team God. to work under them that is for both future Cyberpunk mods and also uh, working on hunting down and correcting major bugs in the game. <sighs> Wow. Uh, the team told the press that it was a really nice. a, a dream, a dream for all of them to work for CDPR. Mm-hmm. So this could mean good things for CDPR in the future. I, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, if, there, if there's anything CDPR needed to do, it's do a radical shift in the way that they make video games, obviously, because the last one they made was a massive disaster on release. Mm-hmm. And all the ones before that were great games. Maybe they were unpolished on release, but not to this level. Right. Not to this level. And So this was... A little bit worse for wear because underneath Cyberpunk, there probably is an amazing game in there, and I just haven't been able to delve into it because it was too broken. Mm-hmm. They hiring a team that pours love into your games for free is just uh, the best move you can make. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I still haven't played uh, Cyberpunk, mm-hmm. and I was the most hyped for it. You were. I played, you know, maybe three hours of it. I was like, this isn't done. I'll wait till the first expansion comes out. And that's still what I'm doing. Hmm. I cannot wait to play this game. But knowing this, it makes me a little more excited too. And a little happier to think about whatever their next project is. Hmm. What do you think, Donnie? Using your fan base in making your product better is what a lot of companies already do. Uh, with that's the reason why so many com- game companies allow mods to be put out there. Mm-hmm. Because they know they don't have the time and man hours to... Yeah. Fully perfect right. their thing. Well, well, think about like and the people new release of Skyrim that came basically pre-installed with a ton of like legacy mm-hmm. mods mm-hmm. that did, Bethesda did not make. Yeah, and Bethesda doesn't generally give credit to those people True. or money, and we're always kind of like, that's really shitty because these people mm-hmm. love these games and these franchises yeah. so much, so they get put all this extra work in it, and they are part of this community. CD Projekt Red is doing the one thing that we've said for a long time. We're going like, wow, we really wish they just fucking hire these people so they could just make their game better. Now, speaking (laughs) of Bethesda, speaking of Bethesda, though, there is something that they did do recently that I didn't put in the notes. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a team that is working on a mod for, God, and I'm sorry because I don't have the notes in front of me for it. I want to say Fallout 4. They're working on a full conversion mod. And it's called Fallout London. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... They're, they they have a full team, and this is people doing it for free. Mm-hmm. And I guess at some point Bethesda looked at like Fallout London, like asked like, "Hey, so who's the main person who's writing the script for this? It's really good." And like the, somebody said, "Hey, it's me." And they said, "Cool. How much money do you want to come work for us?" Um, yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, that that's was good. another recent change yeah. where they the a, we company actually went to their fan base yeah. and started bringing yeah. people in. Um, if I was that person, mostly because I was talking to shitty Bethesda, I'd be like, my price is all my team comes with me. Yeah. Hire us yeah. all. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> yeah. We're making this game. Yeah. <laughs> but they also, uh, but also I believe that in the stipulation of the contract, it did not take that person away from working at Fallout London. Oh, okay. So they, did, they didn't they're, shut the project off. They, no, 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 no. They didn't shut the project down. They okay. were just like, so you guys keep doing that. 
but also we want this person. Yeah, but also you, 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 we need, you know how like, to day job. You, you have the talent. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Night, night job will be like you messing around on Fallout mm-hmm. London, but yeah. like day job is actually working probably on the next Fallout because yes. we need That's to good. recover because from we, this. We, yeah, when we release another one of these, we need it to not suck so bad that yeah. people want to murder us. All right, let's bring that tone in the room a little bit. <sighs> right. Wait, we only had Fallout 4. We haven't had Fallout 5 yet, right? Yeah, well, we had yeah. 76. Well, no, so we've got a lot of numbers between 5 and 76, though. That's like 71 numbers. <laughs> so we got a lot of games before yeah, they can I get mean, that bad. God, there's so many Xboxes we haven't had because we got <laughs> yeah, the one true. and the three. We went from 1 to 360, <laughs> so like, I don't know. Maybe 2 is around the corner. <laughs> we, so we went, went from Xbox to the 360 to the 1... Yeah. To the X, which is 10, and... To the S, to the Q, it's just... It's just the, the, now it's a, Microsoft, we don't know how numbers work. Or how names work. I'm telling work. you, mostly make, how names make work. fun of Sony all you want, but you know which console you've got. Yep. They let a flagship console trying to compete with a PlayStation 4 be nicknamed the X-Bone. Right. <laughs> like, this is just bad naming. Okay. And and, I'm, and this is from a fan of people who name their consoles one two three four and five. <laughs> like it's not creative, but I know what I'm getting. Yep, that's yeah. very true. That's what I've always enjoyed when you go to an adult bookstore. Whenever you get a adult title number seven, yeah. you know that there's a legacy of yeah. titles going on, and you know what's gonna happen. You yep. can't just give me a random name and be like it's Sally's <laughs> Adventures in Fun Fisting Land. Right. I I mean it's a pretty good example. Right. Of, that's actually a really good title. But, but, but right, but you could go like, oh, it's Sally's Journey Three. Yeah. Oh, based on the context of this plot in this movie, <laughs> right. I need to go see the other <laughs> two. I need to see one and two before yeah. this because I don't want to be missing out on. Unfortunately, I watched the movie in five minute increments, so it takes. <laughs> me a while to see the whole thing <laughs> who buys porn anymore all right true um so the well, dirty bookstores are are they are, are losing a lot of yeah. business i think mm. we just need to legalize glory holes really no and Oof. also support sex yeah. workers first off oh always support always. sex work absolutely mm-hmm. Uh, So the co-presidents of Naughty Dog Studios, Evan Wells and Neil Druckmann, spoke about video game unionization this week. Oh, God. Uh, Yeah. Hold that thought. Mm. Saying that they don't know if unionizing would be a solution to games having, quote, crunch time. Yes, Um, it would. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Or when uh, employees, if you're unfamiliar with the term, employees working over 40 hours a week on Mm -hmm. a project. They think that limiting the number of hours that an employee works could also them also make them feel, quote, handcuffed. And they think that you can't use what they call a silver bullet approach, basically using one thing like unions to fix the problems in the industry. Well, they're like, well, you have to tackle it from multiple angles. Like, he's going with, I want my people to be so creative that they can work whenever they want all the time for me is what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. This is this was Neil Druckmann. This is him and his co-president for Naughty Dog. Yeah, no, this is this is the we need to, yeah, we, yeah, same. We need to fucking this is a bad not thing. have unions. This is a very bad thing. This is him saying if we give power to the employee, things will go bad. Actually, mm. really, how? Well, they might not get to work as much as they want, but but Neil, that they'd be in charge. Mm. They can work literally exactly as much as they want at that point. Yeah. Oh, imagine that a labor system where the yeah. labor could be telling the capital if, to fuck off. Right. If they make the rules that for the first three years of production, they don't work weekends 
and everything gets cut off. And then in the last year of production, they want to be in there working 12-hour days, pushing the game out the door. That's up to them. But, at least they but, get to make... But, they, they don't think they might be fired for not but, doing But that. they are entering into this with a wrong opinion about what unions are. Because oh, yeah, their, their, their mindset when, when they made this quote was, um, oh, well, if you're in a union, you can only work 40 hours a week, which is going to stifle people's creativity. So you can't do that because people do want to work more than 40 hours on video games. No, no. There, there are, unions always have bylaws and workarounds and things like that. They might mandate... That you only work 40 hours a week because if you do not, we don't get the legal protections we need. Right. These are strong things that happen with people who pay union dues. But this is mostly for hard labor jobs, and mm -hmm. it's mostly to protect the worker. And this is upsetting because Naughty Dog Studios is got a pretty good tracker. Yes, they've definitely had crunch in the past, but they've said they've been working on it. Mm. And Neil Druckmann is an artist that I have supported, especially when it came things to like the controversies around Last of Us 2. Yeah, yeah, In the absolutely. story, I was like, no, but I realized his artistic vision. I may not agree with it, but I but I accept his artistic vision and that's mm. what needed to be brought. Yeah. Um, but hearing two co-presidents of a video game studio say unions are bad because... They have to. That... Mm, that is, that is not and I'm not excusing this behavior. This is right. shitty, shitty, shitty behavior. And yeah, yeah. Again, Neil, I, I I really did love The Last of Us 2 and I like your games, but this is this feels like a betrayal of everyone who works underneath you. What he's afraid of is him saying, hey, guys, we need to work 80 hours a week for the next four weeks to get this game out on time and them saying no. Right. They, this is how union interactions go. They come in and they say, we need this overtime. You can volunteer for it. And some people will and some people won't. Then they'll say, oh, the people who didn't volunteer, well, maybe they don't get as many cool projects. And then the union goes, all right, fine, fuck you. No one works overtime. Hmm. Now, yes, this may limit a single worker's options to be like, oh, but I would like that overtime either for money or because I'm really into this project. However... The union comes together to protect everybody from the employer because that's what a union is and that's what a union does. And that is what they're afraid of. They're afraid of pushing too hard and being told no instead of just being able to fire anyone they want and punish anyone they want at any whim they have. It's horseshit. It is. Wow, it's... Sorry, the ending of it just reminded me of just living and work, trying to work in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> straight up. Um, that's not fun. Texas is a rough place to be right now. Yeah, y yeah. Place. Right to work is not exactly the statement you yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, also, under his eye, everybody. Greetings yeah. from Texas. Yeah, under his eye. Yeah. But yeah, uh, in, some final thoughts about Neil Druckmann, Naughty Dog, and the idea of anti. Oh, I didn't like him before, and I'm not going to like him more now. <laughs> it's very true. All right, so we need to wrap up the new segment of our show. Uh, we've got a couple more quick things to talk about. Um, we got to talk about Activision Blizzard. Uh, let's start with some, with some happier news, um, even though it comes from a dark place. In a general Overwatch update, uh, Blizzard has announced the character of Jesse McCree will be getting a name change in the near future. Uh, since his name did come from a former Blizzard, Blizzard executive um, that was named in the sexual harassment and discrimination case, mm -hmm. um, they're working on the details of how the change will happen because they want to do it. Like, they actually want to do like a lore change with mm -hmm. it. Like, hey, we're actually going to do a thing and release a free comic. We're not just going to change it to Jimmy McDouchebag. Yeah, yeah, we're not just going to do it. Like, we're going to we're going to make a thing of it, right? Like, mm -hmm. we're going to celebrate the fact this character is changing his name, uh, which is kind of cool when you think about it. 
Um, and so the Overwatch team specifically said, quote, um, we built the Overwatch universe around the idea that in inclusivity, equality, and hope are the building blocks of a better future. Mm -hmm. They are central to the game and to the Overwatch team. As we continue to discuss how to best live up to our values, specifically the Overwatch team, and to demonstrate <laughs> our commitment to creating a game world that reflects those things, mm -hmm. we believe it's necessary to change the name of the hero, currently known as McCree, to something that better represents what Overwatch stands for. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's great. And I mean, obviously we wish there are people online saying like, oh, wow, look what Blizzard did to like placate the community. They changed McCree's name instead of doing a bunch of anti-sexual harassment shit and a bunch of anti, you know, employee shit. Instead of fixing their mistakes, they renamed McCree is a talking point, And I feel like it is a disingenuous one because Blizzard it isn't doing shit. This is the Overwatch team renaming McCree because they're like, this is a bad look. They can't make Blizzard do shit right. about all the other stuff. So they're doing what they can when they can stop. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing Just, a little bit to protect their team and to make the world a slightly happier place. This would be like Jello saying like, oh shit, the Cosby Funtime Pudding Pops should probably be renamed now. Like, yeah. like so yeah, let's let's just let's just rename that. Let's just not be I'm, associated I'm, with. I'm, I'm normally not the dark person on this show, but I want to. I want to invite a comparison that is not same same at all. But it's an argument that I've seen online over the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people who approached members of the Overwatch team and said things like, um, you know, if Blizzard's doing all this, why don't you just quit? And then I have a house and family and in, do you think it's reply rely in, on me. And in the last two days, a lot of things have come out about Texas legislation. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And there's mm -hmm. been a lot of people from outside of Texas who have just like, well, if you don't, if it's so bad, why don't you just leave? Yeah. Why don't you just fucking move? That's easy. Right. Right. And the, the thing, then the discussion here is that if you love the thing, mm -hmm. that being the company and the projects that you're working on and or the state in general without the government, mm -hmm. you want the change to come from inside the house. If you yep. don't make the change happen from inside the house, the change will never happen. Mm -hmm. If you love the thing and you are passionate about it, then do the thing, which is go out and vote. Do the thing is, you know, be the Overwatch team and, you know, maybe do the small thing like changing McCree's name because one Every little step of this is progress. Yeah, that little it's bit of progress partner. made me slightly like the idea of purchasing Overwatch 2. Mm. I'm still not going to buy it. Sure. But that lore change, that evolution of going, hey, we need to move past this, mm. makes me like that team and wish they could buy themselves out yeah. in I also think it's weirdly kind of fun when they were like, well, why don't you just change the name? They're like, well, obviously there's a million voice lines that we have to re-record and we have to do that. But yep. they're like, on top of that, since we're already doing the work, why don't we just make a real reason why we would do this? Yeah. Let's make a lore reason, like why he would change his name. Like, Agreed. That's kind of cool. Like I'm kind of on board with that. Yeah. Um, also in, in Blizzard news, I don't actually, it wasn't for us to talk about. Um, I don't have it in the notes, um, but um, a bunch of shit in WoW is being changed. Okay. Like, because there's a lot of WoW content. There probably is a ton, like, like named, named after, after creators. And, and, and they're just like, nope, hard no. We're going through and wiping all that shit yeah. and using because made up the, names. Because the WoW people know all of that shit. Well, they're also mostly the backbone for where a lot of this is coming from. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're doing sweeping changes. Mm -hmm. 
So I just remember there was a Mario and Luigi quest like in those either vanilla WoW or like one of the like the first couple expansions. Oh yeah, I mean there's, there's a, a weird one like this weird yeah. side quest you to talk to these like two little dwarf things. Oh yeah, no, they love references. <laughs> I mean there was a place in uh, the Burning Crusade where there was just like debris all around because like the whole idea was like you could have a flying mount because didn't wow get different. to a point where they just put a leroy jenkins meme inside of wow at yeah that yeah point? well there, like, there was there was a crash plane and like there were like animals in the environment the kind you don't kill that just wander around but you can kill them if you just swing mm-hmm. at them like those types of things and there was just a downed plane with two snakes on it yeah i mean yeah the always reference and by the way final fantasy 14 oh, does a lot of that yeah. It's very subtle, but they do a lot of the same thing. And that's because Final Fantasy XIV did reference World of Warcraft. Mm. And, you know, the head Yoshi P even said when we remade mm-hmm. Final Fantasy from the ground up, mm-hmm. we weren't trying to do something different. We looked at WoW and said we would love to be. Yeah, we would like to make a, a game that people want to play. Yeah. In a continuation of like how you can evolve like an existing game world thing, uh, Destiny 1's Loot Cave mm-hmm. um, is the opening for the new dungeon for the 30th anniversary. That's funny. And I really like that even in the Destiny 1, whenever they got rid of it, they eventually added a interactable voice line mm-hmm. of a, like, if even yeah. a million deaths will not satisfi- satisfy Master Hill. It's in Destiny 2, and the fact that that's going to be part of a fun for the community events mm-hmm. yeah, that, based that on like a mean, meme within it that's yeah. kind of cool shit oh yeah, yeah. i mean I it's, like it's, it's appealing to the fans who you know been there since the beginning yeah. and there's a lot of there are a lot of you had to be there historical moments in destiny from one all the way to now yeah. so yeah literally the, weekends the, if you remember didn't go play pvp fondly. on this one weekend you wouldn't know what laser tag is mm-hmm. and why i have this emblem where it's just a laser going through a skull because it was a i'm not gonna lie fucking weekend when, so i played a, uh, a lot of final fantasy 11 I went into Final Fantasy 14 1.0. Oh, um, I didn't play all the way through the end of it, but you know I did play during 1.0. Yeah. I loaded up 14, you know, the new version of Realm Born. I had been playing for months, mm-hmm. months, literal months, and never asked the question, hey, why does my character have a weird tattoo on their neck? <laughs> had no clue. At some point, I'm sitting there in my clan, and I'm like, guys, one thing I never, I don't remember putting this tattoo on the back of my character's neck. Mm-hmm. And they were like, it's because you played 1.0. Uh, and I was like, really? They're like, yeah, you can toggle it off. But I like, guess I had one too. Like, yeah, Shit. like you actually have a character that signifies that you were 1.0, that they this tribal thing that they put on your on your character. Neat. And I was like, I never fucking realized that until I just <laughs> asked about it. That's cool. Uh, all right, so we had some happy Blizzard news. Now we got to talk a little bit of sad Blizzard news. Um Womp womp. It's Blizzard. I mean, just yeah. Blizzard. Ninety-nine percent always sad. <laughs> Activision Blizzard has been accused by the California Department of Fair Employment, who they are currently in an anti-discrimination lawsuit with, mm-hmm. of shredding evidence related to the investigation. Yeah, they did that shit. Yeah, that, that um, sounds exactly yeah. like what they would. That do. is straight up like success, su- succession HBO show mm-hmm. uh, style, like. That is a hard word for a lisp. I'm yeah, sorry, man. Yeah, it's super, super difficult. Um, Activision Blizzard's uh, spokespeople have That's said that general. all of these claims are false and that the company, quote, took appropriate steps to retain relevant information. Yeah, that is literally saying <laughs> oh, we, we did that shit. We didn't do that shit. But we did something exactly like that. We're calling it something else. You mean we're supposed to keep the documents showing that we did the bad stuff? Wait, when you subpoenaed <laughs> us for these documents, we weren't supposed to destroy all evidence of them? So you're telling me I did something bad, and if I get rid of the evidence that I did something bad, right. then why I get what they're doing? But, like, come on, you know that this is what they're doing. They're trying to... <laughs> you're accused of plotting a murder with that notebook. I don't know what you mean. Yeah. 
Trash can fire. I look forward. This is all right. So this is my fantasy future that based on the past. I want Blizzard Activision to happen. I, it's not a monopoly, so you can't get the Ma Bell breakdown where everything got split into all these other sub companies. Uh, but that's so. what I fucking want. I want to be like, cool. So Call of Duty is its own sub sub company. This is this. Have fun. The rest of this Activision Blizzard shit's fucking gone, mm-hmm. and let them all be their own teams on their own separate companies and just break it the fuck up. Yep. This is made, that's my vision. All of these rather. things oh, just yeah. raise even more questions as to why Papa Jeff left. Mm-hmm. Like, so Jeff Kaplan was the head of Overwatch, and he has never spoken vocally about why he left, especially because he loved his team so much. Yep. And he is the one that really kept a lot of like Blizzard off of their backs, mm-hmm. and it was like, you, no, no, we're our own thing. Yeah. You don't fucking touch us. Mm-hmm. Like, we leave us alone. We're, we're making a game. Yeah, we're the Overwatch. We're team. making at the time your most popular game. Right. And so for him to just quietly leave one day, everybody's like, what did Blizzard do? Mm-hmm. Where did Blizzard touch you on the doll that you were like, yeah, and he's so like, weird, oh God, I wish the doll. It, it, it still to me doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. And he's never talked about it. And I don't think that he can, especially if there's ongoing investigations. And Jeff Kaplan, by the way, is not one of those people we say that with some subtext of, oh, he probably touched them. No, Jeff Kaplan is like pretty Pretty pure dude. He's a very mm. nice, like he Super always wholesome. Wanted the way to he left, I was worried about that. Yeah. So I remember we talked about it in the episode. I was like, dude, this was it this was such sense. out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, are we I gonna came... get? Or tomorrow we're getting a news break of bad yeah. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but mm. I, we, we've been getting a lot of news breaks of bad stuff since. So yeah. I mean, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, but yeah, they absolutely committed those very federal crimes, and I can't wait to see someone from Activision Blizzard go to jail, like mm. straight up. Like, it needs to be somebody. And I know everyone was taking orders, so it needs to be someone at the top. I mean, Bobby Kotick for jail, straight up. Like, like whoever knew, when they knew it, who gave the orders, all mm-hmm. that. Put them in prison. I know rich people don't go to prison in this country, but maybe we should fix that. Mm-hmm. The French invented the guillotine. It works real <laughs> fucking good. I'm just saying it solves problems very easy fast. to make. You can get a DIY kit online. <laughs> All right. That is everything that we have for the news this week. I know that this is a bit of a downer, but stick with us. And on the other side, we'll have our main topic in the boss room. Boss room. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is the boss room, our main discussion for the podcast, sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. So this week, Hector and I played through a little game called 12 Minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we said in the intro, it's a time loop game, and the length of the game runs about three or more hours, depending on how stuck Not you get. Not 12 minutes. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a dirty lying <laughs> Yeah, game. And, and, and to be fair, the actual loops aren't 12 minutes either. It's 10. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about 10. Now it's just aggravating. Um, so I love shorter games like this personally. Yeah, um, honestly, between work, podcasting, and a slew of other stuff, mm-hmm. a short game is really appealing to me. Um, however, some news hit this week. Um, a solo indie developer called uh, Emika Games announced they were stepping away from game development. Now, the reason for this is that Emika Games is a solo game studio who makes smaller horror titles. Uh, typically, they're usually very tight in narrative, and most of them run no more than maybe about 90 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So as such, they price them pretty cheap. Uh, the newest game, Summer of 58, came out at like 9 bucks. Uh, so basically like movie ticket price mm-hmm. for an episode. Yeah, no, yeah and it's an hour and a half long. That's wonderful. I love playing these games. I generally get them in bundles like off mm-hmm. of itch.io where I can just get a bunch of fun, weird hour to two hour experiences mm-hmm. and just play some fun, weird shit. 
And it, it was great because, I mean, you get all different types of games in there. Oh, yeah. So, it's literally the gamut of game development. So what <laughs> caused the developer to leave working on game development is that Steam, um, actually, and Epic Games as well, has an auto-refund policy in place for any game that people have played for under two hours. Mm -hmm. So his most recent game has so many positive reviews. And we're talking about, like, just more positive Overwhel reviews. It says overwhelmingly positive, positive on like, Steam. Yeah, on Steam. Oh. But at the same time, a lot of those people giving those glowing reviews have asked to refund their money because Steam has nothing in place to protect him. Right. So they come on, they they sign on for the 90 minutes, they mm -hmm. say, oh my God, this is one of the best horror stories I've ever played. And But you can also see the tag, ask for a refund because... And then they get their fucking $8 back. Right. So this made me want to talk about. I've, I've got, I did that at movie theaters back in the day. I would watch a shitty movie and go back and go, "This movie is fucking piece of shit." Give me my money. I, I don't <laughs> mind you taking your money back from AMC. Yeah. That is fine. I mind all of these motherfuckers <laughs> who played this game, enjoyed the shit out of it, and then took their eight dollars back from this single, probably in need of food and shelter, developer. Yeah person who might have a house or a family that they might want to live or, or just, protect or, has or neither eat, you know? and just would still like to matter and <laughs> yeah. eat yeah it was, it was the same people yeah. uh, me being a pissed off little teenager who hated bad movies at amc i'm fucking over a corporation oh yeah for straight up yeah <laughs> or, or you'd take your stub and just kind of like wave the back of it at somebody and walk into another movie when your movie was yeah. over. Yeah, you spend a but, whole afternoon at the movie theater. But it's whenever fine. you, whenever this is a single game developer making a very small game that costs $9 that you're like, holy shit, that was a lot of fun. I'm going to be a dick. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between like, I spent two hours yeah. watching a movie that was literally a piece of shit that I hated and I'm mad that I spent money on versus mm -hmm. I spent two hours playing the fucking game I enjoyed and I gave my money back. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, Steam needs to, like, obviously the policy is flawed, right? Yeah. Steam needs to implement some kind of, like, I don't know how they would even do this. But if you see the credits for completion. this game, you cannot, you, if you get the completion achievement Steam for this triumphs. game. Okay. You have one triumph, so you complete let's, the game. Let's, if you complete it, you well, no longer get a refund. Yeah, if you get the, if you get the end, end game TiVo, no refund. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's save a little bit of that because I, I do want to come back to that here at the end. Mm -hmm. um, I want to start the discussion talking about just the length of video games in general. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover when it comes to game length. Uh, so let's kind of open up with our first thoughts. Um, like things like, you know, should a developer artificially inflate their game? No, um, God. You know, to yeah. you know, they hit the two-hour mark. What was the studio so, under um, the Avengers game that came out? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, That yeah, one. Yeah. They, mm -hmm. they literally just made everything spongier to just make numbers, make take make every entrance of fighting an enemy take longer and longer right. to force extended yes, game time. They, yeah, they, they padded their content because they didn't oh. have enough of it. Yes, right. and games have been guilty of this for a long time. Um, all the way back to Total Biscuit, he used to talk about games that didn't have any respect for his time. The one that I most remember him talking about with this was um, the last Dragon Age game. That, you know, when you go into a map, like instantly on the map is a hundred collectibles and like 50 of a different kind of collectible that you can just walk around and grab. And that has nothing to do with the quest you need to do in this zone, with the actual missions you need to do with the zone, with the story content in this zone. It's just walk around to get these things. Why? For points that get make you more powerful. Why? I, uh, no, no. Like, like, so I want to be more powerful so I can complete this RPG and feel like a badass. 
but for to in to that end, I must walk around licking the walls of the world that you build here. Maybe build it smaller if this is your goal. Doom is a great example of how to put collectibles into a game. Oh God, yes, and make it accessible for everybody because literally all the collectibles are on the map anyway. Yeah, yeah. you, you can and make them all I on the map. I love that all you them are all on the show and yeah. on there and you're yeah. like, yeah, I knew. And every collectible affects your character. <laughs> yep. Every time I picked up a new collectible in Doom, I felt more powerful. Yep. See, that's one of the things uh, the collectibles, because they are shown and it makes you feel more powerful and there's a smaller number of them and they are easily easily accessible. Sure. Mm-hmm. They require you learning the game mechanics. That is good. But whenever you... Uh, I can't remember the game you just mentioned, but I was. Uh, it reminded Dragon me Age. Dragon Age. Yeah, Dragon Age reminded me of a, one of the Assassin's Creed games. I, I lo- you, you play that first starting part. You open mm-hmm. up the world map. And you're like, what the fuck? There's too many. Yeah. What the fuck are all these dots? I don't. And you don't even. Expl- you can't even click on them and explain them. What the fuck is it? It's yeah. asking me to go. Open world games are just a bit much. When they're yes, like they that. definitely can be. They definitely can be. I have a couple of really great examples and a good compare and contrast. But my favorite example of this type of thing is actually the Mad Max game. Because that is a fucking awesome game. That game is a thrill to play, start to finish. It's very cool because it pulls from the more recent like Fury Road type of aesthetic and universe. But it doesn't just be like, hey, did you always wish you could be uh, fucking Tom... What's his name? Oh, you're talking about... Oh, the, the main actor. Yeah, did you always want to be Furiosa? You can just jump into this character's shoes and punch dudes in the face. No, it's not that at all. You are Mad Max. He doesn't look like the actor from the movie, but you're doing shit in that world, and people are talking about guzzoline and the bullet farm. All the lore is there. All the cars are there, and they deify these cars when they work on them, and they're like, this is a work of art. One of your main cars is called the Magnum Opus. It is so fucking cool. <laughs> It, it better is be the, the amazing game, game. Now, now, <laughs> j- just to just to drive my point home, I played about twenty hours of this game, saw a ton of cool shit, beat an epic boss that they introduced me to to me at the beginning of the game, and then the open world opened up, mm-hmm. and then I was like, oh, okay, so there's a lot more of this. Let me keep going around. I'm having a great time. And by the time I got to the next section of the game, I realized they want me to do what I just did again. They want me, they, they introduced a new boss to me. They want me to roam around in his area, get all the bases, find out what makes him tick, assault his base, kill him. And then I have three more. And then I have the main fortress at the top. And that's the same thing. And then I turn the game off. Because as much fun as I had, I didn't have it in me to do that again. Right. And the way that the games present themselves mean a lot. But that is a game that is very, very good and overstate its welcome. I think that that's the difference between Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War. War mm. Is that in Shadow of Mordor, it was open world and there were a lot of collectibles. But at the same time, every collectible was empowering my character and making them stronger. Mm-hmm. At some point in Shadow of War, I'm like, okay, now we're just getting... Yeah. It's just getting redundant. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's the, the best, uh, and here I go again, uh, the best balance I ever saw of this was The Witcher 3. Hmm. Because you had, it, there's a bit of a level cap just because, you know, you can only get so powerful. There are points on the map that will give you a skill point, but they're not everywhere. They're actually pretty fucking rare. Hmm. And there are story quests everywhere with interesting and meaningful stories. Now that game, is far, far too long. I will say that to anyone who asks me. The Witcher 3, with all of its DLC, and even kind of without it, is really long. 
Mm. That is a long fucking game. Even without game. going into the side quests, because yeah. they're e- even just, so if you, if you just many. fork the main quest all the way through, it's still a long game. Yeah. But the stories you get, the relationships you make, the dialogue, everything compels you to stay in this game. You're interested because the writing is good, because the animation is good, because the characters are good, because it never looks like... You know, you have a big CG cutscene where everything looks amazing, and then when you get into the quest cutscene, it's two dolls, like, basically, like, chin flapping at each other. They never do that. Because some maniac poured through every one of those scenes and animated them by hand. So the game is always interesting, at least from a story perspective. So you can get through the very long game. But it's still too long. Mm Mm-hmm. It's still too. That's the way long. I feel about almost every Fallout game. They're still they're just too fucking long for me. Yeah, and it's not that there's even too much tracks. stuff. And I, I as a person who has spent more time in one game than I have in any other game in the history of my gaming, mm-hmm. I don't like it when a game forces me to have to replay basically the same elements that mm-hmm. I've already learned, but within a new realm. Mm-hmm. Unless the total game time is like 10 hours. Right. And I mean that in Star Wars um, Force Unleashed. Yeah. One and two. Mm-hmm. You play the first four levels, and then you play them backwards. That's the two games. That's There's nothing different about the two of them. That's really it. They just made four yep. levels, and then you play them yep. front to back, and, and, and that's and it. And games, games fall into this all the time. <laughs> Devil May Cry 4 was very much like that. You play the God, first four bosses, and then you play those four bosses again, mixed and matched, and then you play against all of them in a row, then you play the final boss. Like, that was Devil May Cry 4. And uh, even the speed run of that game is just hilarity, because it's like, yep, this guy again, same strategy I mentioned last time, now he's dead, there we go. And I appreciate... The time investment that I put into Force Unleashed 1 and 2 Mm -hmm. because it didn't take me more than 20 hours to play either Mm -hmm. one of those games to Mm -hmm. play those stories. They made hyper-contained realms that I was able to enjoy. You're talking about Jedi Knight. Aren't no, you? I'm, no, it's Force Unleashed. Unleashed. Yeah. yeah, definitely Force That's Unleashed. That's the one with Star Killer. Star Killer. I thought you were yeah, talking I about. A, yeah, I definitely pulled a fucking Star Killer. What was Star the recent one, recent one we played? Uh, you're talking about Fallen Order. Sorry, Fallen Order. I was confused. Fallen you Order were is um, Force Unleashed, but baby version, because your Force powers aren't near as yeah. up yeah. to Well, 11. yeah, no, it's, 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 you know, Force Unleashed was like early God of War, and did, did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, the other one was. But these were games that if weren't Sekiro priced sucked. at sixty dollars. These yeah. games, I think, were forty dollars at the time, so they mm-hmm. were budget yes, they, title they games. They were double A games, mm-hmm. and I miss. That's one of the things I loved about the three. I call it just called the three sixty era because I know that a lot of there were a lot of these games on the PS three, but the three sixty had so many beautifully wonderfully done small budget title games yeah ps2 had a lot too and they did fuck, they were so cool i kind of jumped from the ps2 had some really fun ones and then mm-hmm. all these on my mind kind of seemed like these western developers kind of picked up on that but mm-hmm. did it for the 360 and because i it, the languages was better at that yeah. point um i enjoyed the shit out of so many of these weird fun mm-hmm. either platformers or shooters and ridiculous yep. shit on the 360 i never i still have yet to feel that on a console to this day mm-hmm. Because it either feels like it's a giant budget title mm-hmm. or it's an indie game that I'm probably going to get annoyed with because they went over art over function. Right. And yeah. 
that's one of the reasons why I don't like console gaming in general because that feels like where the two options are. Mm-hmm. You feel like that a lot of developers feel the need to artificially inflate their content. They do because they have to charge be, sixty bucks because for they it. want to provide a certain mm-hmm. value, or they want to think right. that the consumer sees this right. as a sixty dollars. So, so let's compare and contrast like the last big one I did, which was Witcher Three, with something like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, mm-hmm. which you could easily spend three times the amount of time I, I spent in Witcher Three in. Valhalla and is a huge world. It's, it's open. It's got it's endless quests. It's insanely long. And and a, a lot of the people who finished it said it took me 230 hours. It takes like 80 hours to reach the ultimate hidden right. weapon in the game. But you can just tell to when do you're, that quest. But you can <laughs> tell when you're playing it that it's entirely artificial. They have a button that levels up for you because when every level, when, when you level every 10 minutes and every level you get is like three to five skill points, right. then you're either stopping every 20 minutes to put in five skill points or you're going to wait until you have 25 and then you have to look at this massive skill bush not a tree it's kind of a bush and be <laughs> there ain't like, no log up yeah. in here no no it doesn't go up like you get more powerful it's like well maybe 2.5% more dodge but maybe if it has more of a shrubbery top but a longer Maybe fleshier section. At the well, it would be nice if it had like two like little shrubberies and then like a large like branch. I don't know. Anyway, so the the so the, they knew people weren't going to want to stop every, either every two hours and put in thirty skill points or every. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes to put in five. So there's a button literally at the middle of the skill tree before you can use either of your sticks or your mouse to go out into the bush and select skills. It starts with you on this button that says, just do it for me mm-hmm. because they knew their mm-hmm. skill tree was boring because they inflated their game too much. So instead they have an RPG where your character is the same as everyone else's. Cause everyone clicks the do it for me button. I, <laughs> This is a failure of game design because you padded the length of your game too hard. This is the parody version of Assassin's Creed. And it's really unfortunate they did it with the Viking version because I wanted the Viking version to be good. Maybe one day they'll do the ninja version and it'll Side be right. Side for RPGs, that kind of comes down to also how much you trust your players to be able to understand their characters and what they're building. True. Um, because I kind of look at it as like if I'm going to be running a DM game, um, am I going to hand you a pre-made character because you're an idiot and doesn't know what, what we're doing? Right. Or are you going to give me this giant fucking back catalog of 20 fucking character or uh, pages I got to read to understand mm-hmm. how you're going to join my game? Like, yeah. There's a disparity between how you want to tell that story. Yes. And every game has to find a, a unique balance between sure. that. Platformers have a very hard time getting story elements through just jumping around and trying to exist within this universe. They're trying to show you that universe through just the movements and the actions within it. For the most part, I was just thinking about, um, uh, the Nintendo game, the gorilla game, uh, Donkey Kong? Donkey Kong Country. Oh, yeah. It's like Donkey Kong Country doesn't, it gives you some plot stuff. You have a couple of interactions, but a lot of it's just through learning the game's mechanics and moving throughout it. And I love that part of it. And every, I mean, every game is different. Yes, absolutely. you're not going to get that. But we, I, I wanted to bring up the 360 because, or not the 360, the 64 type mm. games because those were shorter. Yes, you had giant long 80 hour RPGs, and then you had most games that were honestly about eight 
eight six to ten hours, yeah. maybe eight hours, six well, no, hours. You, no, no, is no, a no, lot no, 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 no. You, you bring up a good point because the the sixty four era was the same era as the PS one. Yes, mm-hmm. and so on the PS one, you had something like a Final Fantasy, a Wild Arms that was you know sixty plus hours. And but, the but on the sixty four, you had be more self contained. So yeah. like you know, uh, Conquer's Bad Fur Day, your Mario sixty fours, all mm. of these things very playable in eight to ten hour increments. Right. Load times and, but, way yeah. faster on the sixty four, which was to its benefit because it was using a cartridge versus a disc which spinning up made mm-hmm. RPGs be able to exist yep. but made us have really long load times. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think we, we spent we spent a good amount of time talking about long games. I want to talk about some of my favorite stories. Yeah, so yeah, mm. I, I wanted to bring that up because uh, honestly, I had a completely different title for this episode, and then Tony <laughs> went in and was just like, "Hey, mm. why don't we call it Link versus Girth?" Link versus and normally girth. I'd be like, "LOL." But Let's talk about some Girth. The more, like, but, but, I gotta make but, a dig. But, but the more I thought about it, I was like, "No, this is a good point, though." It is. We need to talk about games that are meaty. But don't have Short. the same length. Yes. Um, my my fir- first example that comes to my mind is a really wonderful game. Tony, you and I earlier were talking about The Ascent. Wonderful mm-hmm. game. Uh, amazing cyberpunk aesthetic. The precursor to that game is called Ruiner. And it is okay. a one. It's a single player though, but it has this really awesome, um, not quite Hotline Miami, more of a... Uh, anyway, it's a third person top down action game, a lot like The Ascent. Incredible cyberpunk feel. Even better than The Ascent, I might say. Um, and it's about four to five hours long. Like if you take your time, but it is really replayable and it, it, it's just like, it's just cool to be there because of the whole cyberpunk thing. So you can spend your time in it just like soaking in the aesthetic and doing the hard as nails combat, like hotline Miami hard. And you can, uh, you know, check out all the different guns, all the different cyberpunk stuff. But yeah, you're done with the game in about four hours. And if you never want to touch it again, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And I love shit like that. Uh, game you and I talk about, James, uh, the uh, the Metroidvania based on Record of Lotus War. Mm-hmm. That's like six hours long. I've been long. wanting to play that. It's like six hours long. You can play yeah. it in an afternoon if you want to. Yeah. It's a good weekend game. Mm-hmm. Raz's Hell on 360 was a budget title game that only took about six hours to play. Mm-hmm. But it was ridiculous. Ridiculously fun third-person mm. shooter thing where it, it was just a really fun game. Look at it. it yeah. No one's gonna remember a game where you the demons were bad or the or the the fluffy guys were the bad guys and the demons were the good guys. Mm. But like it was a really fun, cute game that only took like six hours to play. Yeah, and I I, I love those games. I, I'll <laughs> take it a step further. Uh, Tony, you know, one year for Christmas bought me a gorgeous print a gorgeous Mondo print of a game that I absolutely love and adore. And I haven't had the chance to put it up yet, um, but it is of the game Journey. Mm. Journey is a game that is can be completed in, I would say, a couple hours. Yeah, maybe three at the most. You, If you've never experienced Journey, it's a game that you will actually not know if you were playing with another person, because there's always a second player, but you never know if you were playing with the another AI, person. Because there's no... You know, language right. and, interaction and, and, the and ai the, just does it and job. they're not there all the time yeah so but it's it could be a person from another game interacting with you and it could be something they threw in there yeah. right and so at the Steel. end at the end of journey the coolest part about it when you get to the end which is a fucking sad story holy shit for a game with no dialogue it is fucking sad yeah um you get to the end of the game and you watch the credits roll and yeah, I get it. Like I was super wine drunk while I was playing it, but I got to the end <laughs> of the credits after dealing with this emotional story that was just told through visual storytelling in a couple hours. And it said something like 
these are the people uh, that were with you along your journey. And it started naming yeah. player names. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that I was playing yeah, with you, these people. Yeah, you didn't know that you played with anyone. I, right. I had the same thing when I when I finished it. I was like, whoa. Like, I, I got to play with all these people. We never once said yeah. a word to each other. We just helped each other out. Mm-hmm. And I spent the last couple hours. And it was a game that was 10, 15 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got to the end of it. And I was so moved. And it was so sad. And... I, it was one of those games that I've often thought that I want to go back and play, but at the same time, I just want to freeze that moment in time in my mind mm-hmm. and say, like, no, I just want to, like, love those two hours that I intensely yeah. just played this game with these people that I will never meet online again. Yeah. And that we've managed to find a way to make communication work in a world where there is no communication. Yep. And, like, fucking games can move you, man. Yeah, and, I, and to that point, I remember people saying when... Because let's not forget that that game... Came out on the PlayStation Three. Like that is an old game. They that made an, an old, AI. old game mm-hmm. that came out. That game came out the same year as Uncharted Three. Yeah. So when it came out on the PS4, a bunch of people were like, "Ooh, does it run a little better? Should we play it?" And a lot of the people who loved the game said, "No." Like, mm-hmm. if you want to play it again because you want to play it again, great. But don't play it again. Because you want to look at all the seams. Right. That's not what the game was about. Like, if this yeah. game moved you the first time and will move you less the second time, don't do probably that. don't play it again. Yeah. Psychonauts is one of my favorite games of all time. I've Fuck recently, yeah, uh, the one that I didn't bother putting it in the beginning because I haven't gotten past the beginning for mm-hmm. Psychonauts 2. Um, I wanted to have more of the game before I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. But it still follows the same Psychonauts mm-hmm. logic. Psychonauts is a game that if you just play the storyline, like you just go where the game tells you to go and just do the thing. You don't wander off and do the collectibles. Yeah. You don't go in to do anything else. It's it's like six hours yeah. long. Yeah. If you go into other people's minds and you start realizing mm-hmm. what mental health is and how other people deal with trauma and how they've internalized their own issues, mm-hmm. the game becomes much larger yeah. because you're going from person to person. You're de- exploring the game. But they understood that the game itself doesn't need to be more than just this linear story. But we gave you enough world to exist around it that you can play within it if you want to. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a what does the it's the work life balance of what does this game want me to have? Mm -hmm. Every game wants you to play endlessly forever. I mean, that's their goal. They want you to become completely addicted to it. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way the world works. Everybody has to have a. I can enjoy this game for a little while before I get pissed off at it moment. Sure. And that has to exist for everybody. And some game, I mean, I play Destiny and it has those moments where it's meant to be played in 20 to 30 minute chunks. Mm -hmm. And then if you get pissed off, you go do something else, you play something else. Basically, the story mission in the world is more longer than 20 to 30 minutes. It's annoying because that's also how long a chapter of a book is to read. That's how long yeah. a short story is. That's how long the human brain can kind of just deal mm-hmm. with a thing before it goes, oh, what the fuck is that? There's a squirrel. Yeah. Uh, I like the budget titles and I miss them because we got to explore these ridiculous, fun, inventive ideas. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the world economy isn't where we can do that right now. Yeah. Um, we've gotten some great indie titles, but some of those are very short to where people are being mm-hmm. assholes and asking refunds or very long and I stop caring. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we need a new category on Steam to prevent the refunds, like a weekend game category that's like, this game is under two hours. When you buy it, it's yours. 
Sorry. Yeah. Um, but that's just like all those hentai games they keep buying. You. Exactly. <laughs> but but like we and, and this is like my it big costs point. Less than five dollars, you can't get a refund in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are a lot of really cheap assets flip fifty cent games yeah. on Steam, and it, that's the, a but, whole other. Problem. But there's also titles like Gone Home. And there's also yes, and, and I, I want to bring up a really really important one that people that not that people forget, and people will never forget this game. But this is a weekend game through and through. Katamari Daimacy. God, those a, games are fun. It's a weekend game. Please bring back the weekend game. 12 Minutes is a weekend game. Journey is a weekend game. Donut or, Country is, yes. an, is so small. You can literally play that game in like an hour or two if you're actually playing it. Yeah. But if you just want to load a thing for five minutes, drop some shit in uh, holes. I never played it's it. Fun, but but it's fun. But it's not going to last more than four uh, hours. Uh, Viva Pinata. Um, so I was thinking okay, like. This, I've, I've, I've never, I never played Viva that. Viva Pinata is like um, Slime Rancher. Actually, oh, okay. Slime Rancher. You're going to spend way too much okay, time okay. in Viva Great Pinata. Great example that you've played, Ori in the Blind Forest. Yeah. Yep. Weekend game. Uh, the same with Will of the Wisp, although it might take you more like three days than two. But yeah. still, it's a little bit longer than the first one, but it's just because it's more complicated and a better game. It, yeah. 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 But the complications come in here when you take a game like Gone Home, which mm-hmm. is one of the most critically acclaimed games of all time. It's an indie game that has no combat, that has no actual spoken dialogue in it. Um, everything is read, everything is inferred. And technically, you can finish Gone Home within two hours. Yep. And it's one... I think it took like, me like, like five because I was it, like reading. It, it took ton. It got so many awards for yeah, how gorgeous it is. <laughs> um, but a game like that under the rules of Steam mean that if you get into Gone Home and you're like, oh yeah, this was a gorgeous game, beat it in ninety minutes, I can ask for a refund. Yeah. And that's where this problem becomes. So there are games that are long and are great. There are games that are short that we love. Mm-hmm. The, the girth is important to it. But at the end of the day the bigger question becomes how do we defend the developers who pride themselves on girth instead of length, mm-hmm. right? That, yeah. That's a big question that we do have to ask here. Assassin, I, I keep always going to Assassin's Creed for girth games because they're just too fucking much shit that I don't length care games. about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. They are super like, oh too, my God, way too like, much, yeah. Uh, I like, wish I liked the Witcher games more mm-hmm. because I love the books. I yeah. love the show. I sure. love the, the animated version part that we've gotten so far. Mm-hmm. But the games go on this. I just can't deal with this side quest mechanic of the endlessly getting there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, it's just, it's too, too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the thing about yeah. the Witcher games and, and, and just open world games in general is you kind of have to be willing to ignore the story. And some games are really good about that by making the story not super urgent like you know like oh we need to get to that other country because i need to talk to a king it takes four months to travel there i uh, guess we'll do the thing or it could be something like fallout 4 where it's like they kidnapped my son oh and look at this town that's right. exactly <laughs> yeah. the one i wanted to bring up was fallout 4 because yep. the urgency that it sends you in that story of the oh fuck i'm getting out of this place my kids kidnapped i need to go uh, to the left endlessly till I can maybe find where the fuck I'm supposed to go. Right. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, storytelling for sure is but, a main component of how, how people take this. And we can, we can love both long and short games. And I do. But when it comes down to it, right now, the way that Steam or is working... Or the motion of the ocean. <laughs> the, way that, with the way that Steam and Epic and all this is working as a store is that um, if you're an artist that makes something that is short... 
there's a very real possibility that you will not be able to make a living off what you want to do. Because let me tell you, I had never yeah. heard of this particular uh, designer yeah, until either. this article. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I read like, oh yeah, he does like really tight, well-written 90 minute horror video games. I went, where the fuck do I get this? Yeah. How do I pay him all the money for these? Because like if that's yeah, probably more like over like, on itch.io. I, and I know that I used this term last week, but I, I, I do mean it for this. And I, I have not Steam. played this game yet, but this kind of shit is my shit. Yeah. So please, Steam, show me more of this, but also, like, don't get refunds. Like, Steam if, if you. If you is Amazon, though. You have to go to other places if you want to get good shit. If you want to get really cool indie things, you go to Etsy and you dig a while. Right. Which is why you go to but Itch and you dig a while. Is is <laughs> that. And I, I, knew this, I, I, knew, I, knew that, I knew this argument was going to come up. I mm-hmm. knew it was. Be, but here's the deal at the end of the day if you are a person who creates a product, Yes, you could go to something like itch.io right. and put your product on it and hope for the best. But the, the, the but number Steam of Steam is mm-hmm. the marketplace. It is the yes. largest marketplace where if you can get seen, mm-hmm. then you made it. Even by people who just like games that so are like the it's, ones it's, you made. It's like saying, mm-hmm. you know, don't live in Texas. Right. It's like, don't don't be on Steam. But yeah. you can't not be on Steam. You can't not be on Steam unless Epic pays you not to be on Steam. You can't not be on Steam. Right. Yeah. I know. And I mean that, yes, most of the games that I get off itch.io are also on Steam. Their numbers are massively better on itch.io because... Because people go to itch.io for those games. For those types of games. Mm -hmm. I'm specifically looking for small independent developers that were giving me one to two hour experiences, Mm -hmm. generally, or just weird ass shit that I get to turn off after five minutes. Mm -hmm. And... On Steam, there's Steam is not meant or is not the most beneficial for the independent space, right? Because it's not good for browsing, and yes. Steam's been trying to fix that forever, and they're just good. They can't figure it out. No, yeah. they're not good at it. Yeah. So yes, it's not good for browsing for shit that you don't know about that you want. That you want. It's great for shoving weirdly shit that's popular for no reason in your face and all yeah, of the triple A algorithm that suggestion so. is really wrong. I want to talk about just for a moment, if I can, the overall just game time investment. Cause I'm looking at like halo infinites coming out. I really want to play that game, mm-hmm. but I already know the game time investment that a game like destiny takes. And if you're going to say that halo infinite has, this massive PvP set, which is really yeah. cool, and this ever-expanding open-world setup that, and I'm just like, shit, that's really big, and that's a huge time investment. Am I willing to, even if it's on Game Pass, start chunking down 20 right. hours for just even a week to mm-hmm. try that out? Yeah. When I could spend 20 hours doing either a small indie game that I'd rather have fun, or fucking mm-hmm. five small indie games, yes. or grinding out fucking every dungeon in Destiny and having fun with my friends. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, it takes a special kind of inspiration mm-hmm. for, for a game to do that to you because I'm right there with you. Like, the, the, I, I can think of a few titles that have affected me that way in the last couple of years. Uh, Monster Hunter World, um, Death Stranding. It sucked goes, into Monster Hunter World. I was, yes. you, that was the one you weren't really, you were like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, I, I was like, we'll see what happens. It's my first Monster Hunter game. And yeah. it just, it, it took my soul and it still has it. it it's I've just known squeezing it right now. people that have never played Played Monster Hunter until Monster Hunter World, and that's the, what they played that's what for they like got. two years. Right. So, so the uh, Monster Hunter World, uh, Death Stranding was definitely one. Ghost of Tsushima is definitely one. I can get into that big open, big ass world and just play for hours and hours and hours and get lost. But most games don't do that to me. And after like twenty hours, I'm like, next thing, 
Like, like oh, would you? I just threw that out there as an arbitrary number. How long do you really feel that a time, a game that is very large, mm-hmm. let's say a very girthy game, mm-hmm. something very open, were you, you, you were can using, go we're using length for long. Yeah, yeah, really yeah le- using length for long. Girth yeah. is short. Yeah. Yeah, so more something that's sure. really wide in its storytelling where you have like these giant maps you have to just go mm-hmm. explore all over of. How much time do you feel you can give one of those games before you go, oh, maybe they're having fun and I'm in it, mm-hmm. or this is just too much and I need to go do something else? Right, so I usually... I want to ask both of you all this because this is I, like... I usually do the 20-hour mark. Most games on Earth have overstayed their welcome after 60 hours. That's just how we kind of rate that. And some okay. games do better afterwards. Some, most don't. That's not a hard and fast rule. It's just kind of a guideline. It's pirate rules. But for... Yeah, I, I usually know for a shorter game, for a game that I know it probably ends at 20 hours, something like The Last of Us, I'd probably judge it after like five hours. Uh, for a game like Horizon Zero Dawn that's going to take me about 60 hours to beat, I'll judge it after about 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I've always loved the Halo games is because I love the story of the Halo games. Mm-hmm. And they are not meant to go, or the stories at that point didn't really go more than like, 10 hours. The campaigns have maximum been longer like than 10, 10 hours. hours. Yeah. If it's, it's like, longer it's than that, you were eight. playing on Legendary. <laughs> yeah, I, I played them. I Dude, I put like 20 plus hours into my super hardcore runs of Halo because that's you're being an asshole to yourself. If you're playing on normal, it should take like 8, eight to yeah. 10 hours mm-hmm. maximum. Yeah. And that's kind of where I am for a lot of games. If you can tell me a cohesive story, maybe that's a weekend game for it, a lot yeah. of people. Because 8 to 10 hours is where I feel okay with spending $60 in a self-contained world mm-hmm. where I've collected everything yes. to a degree. I've, I've 95%ed the game. Let's just put like in trophies or some right. shit. I ex- explored shit and it only took me like eight to 10 hours. And I feel I've gotten my money's worth and that team has gotten theirs. Yeah. But whenever I, and I, I get these smaller games that are much longer. I don't know. I can't do RPGs anymore. No, it's, it, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're into shorter games lately. And like I said, to bring back the weekend game. We need more yeah. of that. I like my long games, but it, it should be very rare. I don't want to play more than one or two of those a year. Everybody gets no. their time investment games. This is something that I, I kind of was thinking about with uh, one of my uh, longtime uh, uh, friends from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. His dad got addicted to WoW. Mm-hmm. Back when it was, wow, before, you know, yeah. it, it, when it was doing Burning Crusades and stuff, he never played video games. He mm-hmm. just played, yeah, wow. Some, yeah. And I gave him shit because I was like, dude, you're like a 45-year-old dude playing. I was like, that's fucking fun. And I didn't understand what, how he could get so invested in this thing. And mm-hmm. it was just became his hobby. Some games are hobby games where that's where you play them. That's where the MMOs are. And that's enjoyable because you in, are invested in that world and that environment. It's meant to be longer than the... 20 right. hours. Right. It's meant to be longer than the even 80 hours in some cases. But like, with WoW and things like that, most games right now are writing this microtransaction-y, we need you to be addicted to our game where you need to play it for like sure. so they pad hours their a week. Mm-hmm. That, okay, so that's where I... I yeah. We need to start wrapping the show up at this yeah. point. Um, so... We obviously have addressed the question, should a developer artificially inflate their games? Said absolutely not. 
Um, should Steam's practices be looked at, though? Yeah, Steam's practices should always be looked at. They should honestly have a constantly evolving set of rules because they're a little bit the Wild West, and the Wild West needs rules. Maybe they need sheriffs. Maybe they need, you know, a... Steam honestly needs a democratized system from an uh, outside community-driven department that will oversee what their community rules are. Good to... luck doing that to a Fortune 100 company. The reason why I bring that up is if you look at something like uh, Ready Player One, they have the um, uh, voting system inside of it where you... Right. It, yeah, it's, it's a thumbs that, up, thumbs down. Well, no, no. It's not that. It's They actually ha have elected officials to oversee the governance of this gaming system mm -hmm. from people who are not controlled by the company and or a government mm -hmm. to go hey yeah no this is good or bad because one of these things are going to be abused very quickly mm -hmm. a community driven effort to oversee the way steam is handling the their refund policies and mm -hmm. also their community driven efforts would probably be for the best and yeah that's going to be on an individual game to game basis but also steam fans get your shit together and maybe okay. make your thing so better this because kind of, we've this... already seen other companies when you hire your fans maybe make your product better. This does lead into my next question, which is just as a off the top of your head idea, this idea that a game that is 90 minutes mm -hmm. um, right now can be essentially demonetized, right? Like they, right. people ask for yeah, this refund up. and we don't want that for creative people. Is there something off the top of your head you can think of where you're just like, this may be a workable solution? Not the solution, just this is a workable solution for it. Yeah, I mean, we, we've come up with a few over over the course of the thing. I feel like th there was a suggestion that like if you give a better than a shit rating to a game, you shouldn't be able to refund it. There's obviously a workaround where you rate it after you refund it. Um, and we have people with refund tags on them. I think it might be, you know, you could have an achievement that if you trigger it, the game can't be refunded because that's at the end of the game. I don't know how that would be policed. Right. It would probably be abused by people who sell I mean, fifty even, cent asset flips. That's at the yeah, beginning of the and that's game. fine. Like, yeah. like I don't. It's not a perfect system, and there probably won't be a lot of them. But yeah, I, maybe the two hour mark is a bad measure of how long it takes to really understand a video game, even mm -hmm. or even by the fucking way, Steam, how long it might take for a PC player to get a game running well on their system before they refund it. If someone spends three to four hours trying to make a game run well on their computer and then realize it's just never going to happen, they can't get a refund. Mm -hmm. So yes, the system is broken from a lot of directions. Maybe time isn't it, Chief. Uh, there's a lot of things we can do to figure that out. It maybe should be a progression marker. Mm -hmm. If you get more than 30% of the way through the game, you cannot refund it mm -hmm. because obviously you're not fucking around and obviously you're enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's 50%. It's one of the I things don't I don't like about Steam in general is the review. Like, I, I put on the review system because mm -hmm. you can spend 2,000 hours into an open world game and give it a sh one star review mm -hmm. and it will become the top worst review right. because on the you're thing. the person who's had the most exposure to the game yeah and that's shitty because you're being a douchebag and i again it comes to end of steam right. wants the communities to police themselves mm -hmm. but they don't want the communities to tell steam you're not policing yourself right yeah because steam yeah, that's literally exactly what they want they don't want to do it they want yeah. someone else to do it this is Texas's abortion law. We don't want to do this. We want y'all to do it because we can't be fucking arsed.
<sighs> so it's complicated Texas as this is issue is. Obviously, <laughs> we've tangent. said that, yeah, the, you know, long games can be great. Short games can be great. But there needs to be some more protections, protections put in place for people who make shorter games like this indie developer. So I do want to end on a little bit of positive. Also, some games are just too damn big. I just want to end on some positive light before we wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Since the initial articles came out um, about this particular developer, uh, a lot of Steam users have been going over to Emeka Games' Steam page and buying their games. Going to do it. Specifically writing in the comments. They would have never known about their games if it wasn't for the articles um, that are coming out online about this. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that Emeka is coming back to game development anytime soon, but it could be a start. They've been updating their Twitter saying, like, look, there's an outpouring of love and, and positivity from all this. Also, a lot of negativity saying that I did this for the press when I actually didn't uh, because of the fucking Internet. Um, that being said, it is kind of nice to see a little bit more light being shined on indie developers' projects. So all the best to them, because I think the world does need more of these short-form games, no matter what the genre is. H.io, for the longest time, I would go to um, the Bundle site, where you Mm -hmm. uh, Humble Bundle, to find cool games. And I bought a bunch of cool games there. And then once I discovered itch.io, I was like, this is the place to find the funnest, weirdest shit you possibly mm-hmm. can. And you can go down rabbit holes and it's easy to access those rabbit holes unlike mm-hmm. Steam and you're directly supporting the people. Yeah. Like, have mm-hmm. fun there. Steam kind of, to me, was relegated to titles that I can't get either on... Anywhere else. Yeah, anywhere else. Like, mm-hmm. it's, if I can't get it anywhere else, I guess I'm getting it on Steam. If I can get it anywhere else, then fuck it. That's where it has to happen. Not true, because you won't get it on Epic. I mean, also, I just don't go to Epic anyway because I have a problem with the company. All right. That is everything that we have for the show this week. Thank you for tuning in. I know that we've had a lot of opinions about game length versus girth. We'd love to hear about all the things you have in that particular realm. What is your favorite size of game? Yeah. What's your favorite size of game? Are you a six inch or an eight inch or where are you at on this? What's your your favorite diameter? I was wondering, did you like 3.5 floppy drives? Because they weren't really floppy. Never were. That's true. 5.5. Two fives were definitely yeah, floppy. Those were some floppy, floppy discs. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. as we wrap up the show, just remember from all of us here at the uh, at Good Night and Good Game, uh, please don't copy that floppy. Tony, where can they Do find not. us? You got to click the safety thing on the corner. Yeah. Uh, you you can click the safety thing in the corner over at info at goodnight.gg, which is our email address, or info.goodnight.gg I just fucked up that ending didn't I I can't remember what I fucking said either way goodnight.gg is the website which goes to our Patreon and Mm -hmm. GNGGcast is where you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and those are the only two that matter at this point. Spotify. We were on Spotify. Oh, we, you can we, find we us there. We primarily go through Spotify, which mm-hmm. is good night, which is uh, yeah. GNGG cast. Yeah. Yes. Please give us a like, share, seriously. Any kind, any kind of review would seriously help us. We really would appreciate it. Uh, until next week for Tony, this is James. For James, this is Tony. And I'm Hector. Everyone, good night.